Hi, everybody. I'm Aaron Woodrick. I'm the director of the Domestic Policy Program here at the McDonald-Laurie Institute. Pleased to be joined today by Jack Mintz, one of our distinguished fellows, to talk a little bit about an issue that we've been writing a lot about lately, competition policy in Canada. Now, Jack, as you know, the federal government just had a consultation on rethinking the Competition Act. Um, you know, there's sort of two schools of thought on this. One is that uh, we need a sort of top to bottom overhaul of competition law. It's not working for Canadians and we need to take a completely different, perhaps more aggressive approach. And the other school is that uh, competition law is not fundamentally broken in Canada and it maybe could use a little updating, but doesn't uh, doesn't require a top to bottom overhaul. I guess I'm wondering where you sort of fall uh, on that continuum. Well, I think actually uh, we need to go back really to uh, what the competition uh, policy is trying to achieve and, and the historical evolution of it. Uh, back many years ago, competition policy was really based on uh, what's called a structural analysis. You kind of look at, uh, you know, the share of, uh, of a company's uh, uh, market, uh, its market share. Uh, and if it's too high, then you automatically assume that's bad. That's going to be bad for consumers. They're going to be facing higher prices. And so uh, just looking at the structural uh, market, uh, the structure of the market ended up being a basis for whether uh, government should limit the size of, uh, you know, or, or pose a merger because, uh, because you know, there was too much of a market share that was going to be involved. Uh, then later on, and it was due to Robert Bork in the United States, but it's really just basic price theory. Um, it, it, became, uh, it became a different view in which was argued that uh, the question is, is whether a merger uh, or, or an acquisition would actually lead to higher consumer prices or lower consumer prices, because uh, because an actual merger really has two different impacts. One one impact is, of course, to increase could potentially increase market share, and that would cause consumer prices uh, to go up, and that would be a concern. Uh, on the other hand, if the uh, if the merger uh, creates uh, you know economic efficiencies and lowering costs, or maybe more innovation things like that. Uh, then, then uh, consumers could end up actually facing a lower price uh, in, in the end, not, not a higher price, uh, because of those efficiencies. And, and so that became actually quite commonly used in a number of countries, including Canada. And uh, recently, there's been a view that, well, that's not good enough. Uh, you know, you may get people that are going to be fired or, or et cetera, et cetera. So that, therefore, we should start uh, looking at other factors uh, that could be influenced by by a merger or, or an acquisition. Um, but in the end, actually, what I'm seeing, particularly in the United States, uh, you know, under, uh, under, under their, their uh, you know, new leadership uh, that's taken over, that there seems to be a move back to the structural approach. It's just as soon as you have a higher market share, uh, we're going to oppose it. And I think that's not very good for an open economy like Canada, where lots of competition can come in through import competition. And, uh, and I'm not totally convinced that giving up the, uh, the Bork-type approach uh, to competition policy is very wise. And if we start getting into a whole bunch of other factors, cost-benefit analysis, basically, uh, I think that's a, that's a mugs game. And, uh, and in fact, other policies should be addressing some of these issues and not, and not trying to rely on a single policy to solve all economic issues. Yeah, fair enough. I think it's fair to say uh, most of us at MLI share that view that competition policy is not a Swiss Army knife. It's it's got limited purposes, and those other things, as you say, may be important, but you've got other other tools for those. Um, 
I want to get your thoughts on on whether or not you think a lot of this discussion, the renewed discussion around the need for competition, it seems to me a lot of it is really just a, uh, the real focus is what we call the, the, the digital economy or the tech giants. Um, it's framed as sort of competition writ large, but really it's about Google, Facebook, these sort of big tech giants, um, you know, and that there's something fundamentally different about these businesses that uh, competition policy can't address. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about whether you think that focus focus is misplaced and we have a lot of traditional sectors, everything from banking to airlines to telecoms, um, which could use uh, a little more competition and that actually, you know, entities like Google and Facebook are, are, are not the biggest concern right now. Well, actually, I think that's a really important point. Uh, I think, first of all, we, we have to go back to looking at Canada as a whole. And uh, we have to remember that uh, actually governments end up creating a lot of barriers to entry. Um, and competition is important. I, I think I think it does put pressure on managers. I think it does force companies to operate more efficiently. Uh, but where you see a lot of protection for industries because we don't want to let someone go bankrupt, or you know, we want to we want to avoid foreign ownership, and thing, uh, and now we're getting into this uh, you know supply chain, uh, you know resiliency, and so that's going to create some more. Uh, barriers to entry, I think, in, in many in, in many industries, and 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 that has actually been uh, the Canadian case for a very long time. So, uh, you know, telecommunications, by the way, where everyone was hepped up about high prices for, uh, uh, you know, for cell phones, which of course there is some argument, uh, especially made by my colleague Jeff Church at the University of Calgary, who who's shown that uh, you know that actually the data doesn't really support. Uh, that Canada has high cell phone prices once you allow for quality differences, uh, mm -hmm. you know, across packages and, and, and things like that. Um, but but if you but if you look at the telecommunications industry, uh, we don't allow any foreign competitors to come in. We don't allow it in banking. We don't allow it in uh, in uh, in, a, in a number of other uh, areas, uh, including power companies, which are primarily provincial owned, except for in Alberta, where where it's a more deregulated approach uh, to to power. And so when you start going through the cane economy, you start seeing a lot of protected industries uh, from competition. And if we really want to open up <laughs> to more competition, we have to change the regulations. Uh, it's not a matter of changing competition policy. Yeah, and speaking of barriers, I mean, you, you've already touched on uh, you know barriers to, to foreign ownership. What about internal trade barriers? This is something uh, you know, as you probably know, we've done some work on, but um, I don't think a lot of Canadians are aware of the number of internal trade barriers and, and what the impact that is uh, has on on the Canadian economy. Well, internal barriers are is another another way of trying to uh, limit competition across provinces. Uh, uh, and some of those things are in the in the service sector, particularly pr uh, professional qualifications uh, or whatever qualifications, even for you know all sorts of different types of jobs. It doesn't have to be you know lawyers and doctors, uh, but it can be uh, you know hairstyling and <laughs> all sorts of other areas. Uh, you know we have been very slowly uh, moving towards uh, a freer internal market. Uh, in fact, there's a very good book that just got approved, um, that just got the Donner uh, Book Prize uh, that uh, gives a great review of uh, internal trade uh, over the years. Uh, there's a problem with some of the empirical work that's done in this area because people kind of just observe, you know, uh, you know, some differences uh, in prices across provinces or, or whatever, but they actually 
don't explain what those differences are. They attribute it to internal trade, but we don't know for sure. And so I think, uh, but I do think there are significant uh, gains that could come uh, from better, uh, you know, from from more, let's say, competition that would be induced uh, by taking away some of the barriers uh, associated with uh, internal trade in Canada. Uh, but of course, it's a, it's it's a very long road to hold, and uh, because provinces are, are are also very protective. Of, uh, of particular industries as well. Um, you alluded to this a little bit earlier. We talked about you know protectionism against foreign competitors, protectionism between provinces. You alluded earlier to this this new sort of supply chain uh, insistence. You call it uh, you know reshoring or friend shoring. I'm curious as to what you think. I mean, there is an argument, obviously, with the rise of China and their attempts to sort of put a stranglehold on supply chains around certain things like critical minerals. There's now a sort of national security element. Um, you know, in your view, are, is there there's room for some exceptions here? Are you worried that these exceptions are going to start to become become exploited for anyone who wants to make any sort of argument about protectionism for any sector? Uh, how do you see that sort of debate uh, evolving? Well, I, I do worry actually that uh, this is going to expand into something that's much bigger than what people are talking about. Uh, I think we have to be much more clear on what we're what what areas of resiliency we're, we're particularly worried about. I mean, you know, I, I've seen lots of people refer to food security, and now we should be growing our own bananas in Canada. Sure. Uh, you know, I've been, I, I've seen lots of references to, uh, you know, different types of uh, uh, other products. But we have to remember, trade, international trade, is is hugely beneficial to consumers uh, in providing uh, or offering uh, lower priced uh, products. And of course, if we shut down that trade, uh, that's going to be a very significant problem. And of course, one of the areas that we're starting to see a huge amount of government intervention in uh, is uh, is part of the energy transition, where all of a sudden we're going to be having our own, you know, electric, hugely subsidized electric car companies in Canada. Uh, that uh, that right now, if we continue going down the road, those subsidies are going to break the bank. Uh, and uh, and, we're, and we're also seeing, of course. Uh, you know, uh, critical minerals uh, subsidies. I do a lot of work on mining taxation. I can tell you that the mining uh, mining uh, in Canada is uh, is we have the most competitive tax system uh, amongst all the countries around the world when it comes to mining. And just adding on another tax credit as we did with critical mining uh, has been absolutely unnecessary. And, and I think this is part of the problem right now. We get governments going overboard uh, on trying to. Uh, let's say achieve this resiliency, uh, but then they also start adding on a whole bunch of conditions associated with their subsidies. What actually that takes away some of the juice associated with the subsidies. People don't talk about that, uh, but I've over the years worked on tax holidays across many countries, uh, and there are all sorts of uh, conditions associated with them. And as a result, they don't attract the investment that people think they attract mm-hmm. because governments uh, make it too difficult to claim. Uh, to claim the subsidies in the end, because you've got to have, you know, unionized workforce. You have to have uh, a domestic partner, or you have, to, or you can't own the land. You know, there's all sorts of conditions that different countries use uh, in order to uh, when they start giving out handouts. 
You talked a bit about the the green uh, transition to the green economy. That's sort of my last question here. You know, I want to talk a bit about the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S. We've seen, of course, already uh, in Ontario in particular, these deals for Volkswagen and this uh, perhaps a new deal looks like for Stellantis with their Windsor plant. These are massive sums of money, as you say, the sort of uh, the usual sorts of business subsidies. You know, a billion used to be a big deal when it was. A, now we're talking about tens of billions uh, potentially for, for both of these plants. Plants. Um, you know, what what do you where do you see this ending? Um, why do you think there's been this renewed appetite? Um, essentially, why have the limits um, that used to sort of be implicitly there been blown off? And now it seems that governments are prepared to to literally spend anything it takes uh, in order to get these uh, these types of plants uh, in Canada. Well, I think uh, this is uh, uh, I think a real serious issue now i think that the world is facing and it's been launched by biden through his subsidy war for green energy uh you know which has been uh, these very generous subsidies that are are actually going to cost the u.s government uh, a pile of money i mean they they only you know they originally forecasted less than 400 billion dollars in, in in expenditure for these for these subsidies but uh everybody knows that they're probably going to end up well over a trillion dollars you know you know within the next 10 years and who knows how much it's going to be because it's it's really juicing the system so to speak and and as we know us has a huge deficit and has been growing debt and uh you know as, as people have been remarking during this uh you know debt li limit crisis that just uh, got resolved this week uh that uh, the united states is 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 starting to really uh, is starting to get into a position where it may have a very serious debt problem uh, and, and a credit crunch if they're not very careful, and and yet they've launched this uh, subsidy war, and Canada we're just duplicating it, which uh, you know, and there's this cry by the business sector, you got to match the U.S. subsidies, you got to match the U.S. subsidies, but can we really afford it, or are we willing to give up spending on healthcare? Are we ready ready to raise taxes by a huge amount uh, in order to pay for these subsidies? Uh, the Volkswagen one, I think, is just absolutely outrageous. You know, costing a huge amount of money per worker, three thousand direct jobs being created. Uh, you know, by by uh, you know uh, almost fifteen billion dollars in in federal and provincial subsidies given to Volkswagen, which is almost three quarters of the cost of the pro of the of the operating and capital costs of the project. I mean, this is absolutely insane. And now you're getting Solantis coming along and saying, "Oh, we didn't get enough." And, we're going to close down the facility, our, our construction, and go to the United States where the subsidies are better. And, and now they're threatening to pull out. And what's the response? Well, the okay, government is ready to throw more money at the at a project, which which is going to cost a huge amount, amount of money. And, and so then we start asking the question: like, why? How are we going to control all this? We don't have the same kind of of uh, financial uh, wherewithal as the United States as a as a reserve currency around the world. Uh, the U.S. You know, it will take a lot for it to lose its uh, credit standing because so many people use the U.S. dollar as a, you know, as a fundamental uh, or as a medium, uh, as a fundamental medium of exchange. Um, but uh, Canada doesn't have that um, uh, ability to just simply run up deficits and debt uh, as much as it wants uh, without starting to have a very significant impact on our own, uh, you know, financial health. And so. Uh, and at the same time, there's a lot of spending that we don't do that we need uh, at the public sector level. And of course, uh, you know, our tax, our taxes are kind of in the middle of the pack. We're not the highest in the world, but we're not the lowest either. And, and so, uh, and if anything, we have a very serious problem of lack of private sector investment in this country. So, 
you know, we, I think we are, uh, we, we could be entering into a game that might be very dangerous uh, down the road that may actually impair the Canadian economy in a very significant way. Yeah, fair enough. Wish we could end on a happier note, but I think perhaps it's a, a realistic one. So uh, I want to thank you very much, Jack, uh, for joining us to me and uh, to you, our viewers and listeners. We'll catch you next time. My pleasure.